Jesus, the Son of God. Let me share a few more things with you that I didn't share last Sunday. It'll just be this first service, the Lord willing, and I'll finish up some thoughts about Jesus, the Son of God, for you to know Him and to know Him better, to delight in Him, to rejoice in Him, to praise Him, and to cleave to Him and never leave Him. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we want to emphasize that. That is what our brother Jim read to us from Revelation chapter 19, his lordship. Right. He's sitting on a white horse and he's ruling the nations and he's treading the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. This psalm should be precious to you whenever you think about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Psalm 2. It has four parts. And we want the first part right now. Nations rage. And they're raging today. But it means nothing to God except a cause for laughter. Amen. The nations rage. Why? Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. It's a, it's a rhetorical question. It's wrong for them to be raging because it's vanity on their part. They will never amount to anything against the Most High and His plan for His Son. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. You want to believe in a conspiracy? I'll give you a conspiracy. The conspiracy is against the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's the only conspiracy I care about. That's the only conspiracy that matters. And it's the conspiracy that God's going to crush and laugh at. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, the anointed one, to anoint the most holy. Messiah, Christos, Christ, all of them mean the same thing. Anointed for David to be the king of Israel, Samuel had to visit Bethlehem and do what to him? Anoint him to make him king. Jesus was anointed to be king. They say, let us break their bands asunder. We hate Bible Christianity. Let's get the Ten Commandments out of our school and cast away their cords from us. Let's get rid of God and his son. And so the, Psalm 2 has 12 verses, four parts, three verses each, very easy to understand, all connected and glorious. Why do the nations rage? It's vanity on their part. Jehovah laughs. That is our God's response to this world in the lines of what Daniel was saying about how we are wiser than the ancients and teachers and our enemies, the elite the textual critics, and so forth. Okay. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision, which is strong laughter. Then shall mocking laughter. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. And last Lord's Day, because we went through this in detail last Lord's Day, I explained to you how God vexed the Jews. In what year did God vex the Jews? 70 AD. In what year did God vex pagan Rome? 476 AD. When did God vex papal Rome? 1798. When Napoleon ordered General Berthier to take the Pope captive and he died in prison in France. Because Napoleon understood the danger of the Roman pontiff and his influence on the other kings of Europe. And th then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. And then we get down to this wonderful verse here, verse 6. Yet, 
in spite of their efforts, in spite of their conspiracies, in spite of their words, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. This is a messianic prophecy, a messianic psalm, but let me say again, prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the apostles are going to apply this to Pontius Pilate and Herod. And yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Jesus was not set on the holy hill of Zion while he was on earth. He was set on the holy hill of Zion when he got to the holy hill of Zion. And the holy hill of Zion is not on this earth. The holy hill of Zion is in heaven. So Paul would write in Hebrews 12, 22, Ye are come unto Mount Zion, and the spirits of just men made perfect, and an innumerable company of angels, the heavenly Jerusalem. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The dispensationalists want to tell us that Jesus will not sit on his throne, nor have the throne of David, nor be the descendant of David on his throne ruling over the kingdom of God, nor have the rod of iron rule until the millennial kingdom. And then he will sit on a two-by-four throne in Jerusalem of this earth, that little stretch of sand over there at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea called Israel, and they'll renew animal sacrifices. That is their idea of the Lord of glory. This is our idea of the Lord of glory, out of God's word. Then we come to the third section, Messiah testifies. I'm going to emphasize that a little more today. Messiah testifies. Jesus is speaking. I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son. Jesus speaks. Messiah testifies. I will declare the decree because this decree meant everything to him. This decree is his identity. This decree is his reward. This decree is his joy that was set before him in the heavenly places. This decree is pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. This decree meant everything to him. He came and died because of the joy that was set before him in this decree. I will declare the decree. Our Jesus says, The Lord, Almighty God Jehovah, hath said unto me, Thou, singular, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And Jehovah went on to say this, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In other words, I will put all things under your feet, all men, all angels, all principalities, all powers, all thrones, all might, all dominion, all names, every name that is named in this world and in the world to come, I'll put under your feet because you are my son. And Messiah loved it. So he said, I will declare the decree. I'll tell you myself. I just love that about my Lord. And then rulers are warned. After you get through those three sections, you want to come over here and say, every king of the earth should be careful. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Let's notice that verse 12 has two parts. The rulers of the world ought to kiss the sun. And we ought to kiss the sun. We never want him angry with us. 
We want to cleave unto him, and we want to win him. And we want to, in life or in death, please him so that he approves of us and accepts us on a practical basis. The legal acceptance is already completed. But then we have the last sentence, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. There's a reward for trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. He will bless you inside, outside, every way, in life, in death, after death, at judgment, if you'll put your trust in him. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Psalm 2. We ought to sing it. Forward, backward. We ought to memorize it. Who who wants to memorize it with me? I know I've got a head start. Yes, David. David's been working on it. Brother, isn't the Lord beautiful? Isn't this wonderful? I know that. I know. I know. Sorry that I forgot. David T. So it looks like that. There's Psalm 2. Four parts, three verses. You could memorize it. Just think about saying these words when you're driving down the road. These words when you're lying in bed and you can't get to sleep. These words when you're in the shower. Say these words and you'll come out lit up. Come out of bed or or come out of your car wherever you are. The decree was fulfilled at resurrection and following. I will declare the decree. Let's go back. I want you to know this verse. And never be confused by it. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. The decree was fulfilled at resurrection and what followed. In Acts 13, our brother Paul wrote this. Luke wrote it. Paul preached it. God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. That was Psalm 2-7. And so we have, it's the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Paul applied that statement, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, to his resurrection, which is right there in that word in that he hath raised up Jesus again. He raised him up the first time by birth through Mary. He raised him up the second time by tearing that grave open and bringing him out of it. The decree was fulfilled at resurrection and following. Hebrews, it's our brother Paul again. Out of what church? Antioch of Syria. Because there's Antioch of Pisidia, across the Mediterranean Sea, where he preached his first recorded sermon in Acts chapter 13. I don't want you to be confused. He went from Antioch to Antioch, but don't be confused. And now I want you to look at this very carefully. I did so last week. I'm doing it again. I have more of you here. I have a special guest here. And I want you to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. When did God say, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? This is Paul's second use of Psalm 2-7. Number one was resurrection, when God raised up Jesus again. Now let's look at this one. Being made so much better than the angels. This is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ in the first verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Now I thought he was made a little lower than the angels. Wasn't he made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death? According to Hebrews 2, according to Psalm 8, 
he was made a little lower than the angels in that he was given a physical body of normal body limitations, which angels don't have. Angels can't die, and angels don't have a flesh and blood body, but Jesus Christ was given one because he took on our nature so that he could die for us. I want you to never forget these words. When I pass from this study, it will be a while before I get to come back to Hebrews 1, maybe a month or two. Because I love Hebrews chapter 1. It's one of my favorite places in the Bible. But now it says of Jesus Christ, He wasn't made lower than the angels, being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So Jesus got an inheritance, and He was made very much better than the angels, and He got a name above the angels. A more excellent... When did that happen? On earth? No. In heaven. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. What is the name of Jesus that is above every name and that is above the names of the angels? Who cares about Michael and Gabriel? And they would say, they just said amen. I heard them. Michael and Gabriel just said amen. Who cares about those names compared to this name? Jesus, the Son of God. So when was it given? When Jesus got a name above the angels. When did Jesus get a name above the angels? When he was made so much better than the angels. When was he made so much better than the angels? When he ascended up into heaven and the angels were put under him and he inherited all things except God himself. The decree was fulfilled at resurrection and following by the third use of the apostle Paul. Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. There's Psalm 2, 7 quoted again in the fifth chapter of Hebrews. And it's speaking of the priesthood of Christ. No man taketh this honor. That's the honor of being a priest unto himself. No man can decide he wants to be a priest. But he that is called of God as was Aaron. Aaron was born in the right family at the right time, and God chose him to be priest. So also Christ did not glorify him, glorified not himself to be made in high priest. But he that said unto him in Psalm 2, 7, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, he also saith in another place, Psalm 110 and verse 4, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Are you with me? Psalm 110 verse 4 is in verse 6 here, right here. And this right here is Psalm 2-7. And they're tied together by the Apostle Paul. Because Jesus didn't enter into his priesthood until he was in heaven. He didn't have a sacrifice until he died. What kind of a priest was he going to be without a sacrifice? Jesus himself declared God's great decree. I will declare the decree. I love that about the confidence and the boldness of the one who rules the universe, our leader and commander. Jesus himself declared God's great decree. I will declare the decree. Jesus speaking in prophecy, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Jesus knew all along, during his life, during his death, the reward he would get in heaven. Right. Jesus knew all along. I Look at Psalm 16. I had you read it for a purpose last night. Some of these words in Psalm 16 apply to David. Some of them don't apply to David. They apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the words in Psalm 16 apply to both. 
as it transitions into ones that are about the Lord Jesus. Starting with verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Did Jesus do everything to please his Father? Absolutely. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Was Jesus ever moved away from Almighty God? Never. Verse 9, Therefore, my heart is glad, because I have set the Lord always before me. My only goal in life is to be about my Father's business, even at the age of 12. Are there any 12-year-olds in here? Are there any that are going to turn 12 in December? Yes, I know about three of you, because I spoke to a couple of you this morning. Jesus at 12 knew that he should be about his Father's business. My, therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. His heart inside he was happy, and his tongue he used to praise God with happiness. My flesh also shall rest in hope. That means though they kill me, my body is going to have hope in it, because my body will be raised from the dead. Because I have set the Lord before me. Verse 10, For thou, Father in heaven, Almighty God, Jehovah, wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Without distracting the rest of the congregation, Jesus' soul, if you think his spirit, it did not go to the lake of fire. There are people today that this teach that the spirit of Jesus went to the lake of fire. No, it did not. His body was in the tomb. Where did Jesus go when he died? He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He said to the thief, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Where did the idea come from that Jesus went to hell? The so-called Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed was about 300 years too late for the Apostles. And it says Jesus descended into hell. No, he didn't. Then, Pastor, what does it mean here? You won't leave my body in hell. You say, does soul sometimes mean body? Absolutely. Why don't you go home and get a concordance and look up the word soul and see how many times it means bodies. Or persons. Because notice, neither. Let me repeat it a different way. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Hell is the grave. You're not going to leave my body in the grave. Let me prove it to you by one example. It's uh, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 13 and 14, and it's referring to the discipline of children, and it says, Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Do you actually believe that by spanking some child, we can get their spirit out of the lake of fire? No. What can we do? We can save them from a premature death by wickedness in this world either magistrates killing them or God himself killing them. So that's verse 10. Thou wilt show me the path of life. Oh, there's something better than this world, friends. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I'm sorry that I write too much. I'm nervous. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. There is no reason to fear death. There's a bigger reason to fear being left here another week. To have to live in this place without much joy, without much pleasure, and not being in the presence of God this way. 
Lord, help us to see it. The Lord Jesus Christ saw it. So that when you read in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, it's coming from right here. The Psalms are wonderful, aren't they, Zach? He prayed for them. He prayed for revelation, and God gave him this kind of revelation. I want to read the four verses to you again and again, because I would never be content. I want you to love these verses. Psalm 16, Jesus knew all along God would exalt him as his son and would give him great glory and crown him with glory and honor and let him inherit all things and all the pleasure and all the joy that an infinite God can give his beloved son. And he's given it all to him, except, son, I'm not going to report to you. Everyone else will, and they'll fall at your feet. Did you enjoy singing? in 285 in the red hymnal, our Trinity hymnal, crowned with many crowns, that the angels should fall prostrate at his feet. Amen. Jesus knew all along God would exalt him as a son. I have more. Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So you know what that's talking about. That's Calvary and the cross. He hath put him to grief. Calvary. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He's not a priest yet. He's got to die first. He shall see his seed. Did he know who he was dying for? He absolutely did. He prayed in John 17 that we would be one with him. Right. He shall prolong his days. He's not going to die at 33 and a half. He's going to come back to life after three days. And he's going to tell John in Revelation chapter 1, I live forever. Amen. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God was so pleased. God was so excited about what Jesus did. He gave him all kinds of prosperity. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is basking in prosperity. And God further says, Therefore, because he died for you sinners, will I divide him a portion with the great. I'm going to make him great in this universe. Jesus knew all along that God would exalt him as his son. This is Jesus, the son of God, that I'm preaching to you. Amen. Hebrews 12, 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right. That's where the joy is, at the right hand of God, in the presence of God. Amen. I shouldn't tell you my thought. I have, I'm able to think a few thoughts while I'm in the pulpit preaching to you, but the clock is telling me that the second service is not going to be from Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is going to be another day. So now I'm going to slow down. I know you didn't think I, I was going kind of slow as it was. This is my favorite subject. Amen. It should be your favorite subject. I don't ever want you to read these verses the same way again. I want you to be looking for some of these words in these verses. Who for the joy. And that joy is everything. That joy is so broad, that joy is so deep, that joy is so high about the prosperity and the exaltation and the inheritance that God gave his son. Right. It's all the pleasures, all kinds of pleasures, infinite glorious pleasures given to him at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew all along God would exalt him as his son. He didn't have this on earth. On earth he was humiliated who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. What, what do you think his reputation is right now? His reputation is the son of the living God. 
His reputation is higher than the reputation of any other being and all other beings combined. But he was made of no reputation in order to die for us. That was his state of humiliation for 33 and a half years. And now he's glorified and exalted in heaven with a great reputation, the son of the living God. The word of God, a name that no man can understand, faithful and true. Do you want a motto for a praetorian guard of true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Faithful and true. You're going to get a whole lot more in a few days to come. If the Lord will be merciful at the next men's meeting, you're going to get an earful about the glory of being a soldier of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 24, he's with the two on the road to Emmaus. Then he said unto them, O fools, let's let's not make him say that to us. Let's keep these things that I'm telling you in order. They didn't. They were all distraught. Jesus was in a tomb. And now they can't find his body. They were distraught. O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, I've shown you what the prophets have spoken. I've shown you Isaiah. I've shown you David. Both of them were prophets. This is Jesus speaking to the two on the way to Emmaus. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Do you mean you're going to try to deny me my glory? The joy that was set before me? You know, their hearts burned once he gave them understanding at the wonderful things he was telling them. Let's not be fools and let's not be slow of heart. Let's get excited and rejoice and shout and praise about the things that we're able to see. These words right here, to enter into his glory. When did he enter into his glory? In Gethsemane? In the upper room? No, no, no. When did he enter into his glory? When he ascended up into heaven. But Paul quoted Psalm 2-7 another time. I taught you this last Lord's Day. I'm jumping backward to to event number three of Paul quoting Psalm 2-7 so that I can work it over a little bit more. Paul quoted Psalm 2-7 for Jesus' priesthood. And these are the verses I gave you in Hebrews chapter 5. No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, so also Christ glorified him not not himself, to be made an high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Psalm 110, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It says there in Psalm 110, verse 4, The Lord, all caps, Jehovah, Jehovah hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You should love Psalm 10, verse 4. What's Psalm 110, verse 1? The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Psalm 110, verses 1 and 4 are the king and priest. King and priest. Jesus is both. Though he did not come from the tribe of Levi because he had a better priesthood in verse 4, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And that Melchizedek priesthood is not the one of the Mormon church. They wouldn't know their high priest and apostle if you showed it to them, because it has been shown to them. So I want you to notice the connection of verses 5 and 6. Paul quoted Psalm 2-7 for Jesus' priesthood in verse 5, then quoted Psalm 110 in verse 4. Jesus was not priest before his resurrection. I want to give you these verses again and a few more. Jesus first, Jesus first had to become the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He needed to be sacrificed, offered as the Lamb of God, and he was. 
Jesus then, after that, had to go into the presence of God where the priests went. Hebrews tells us this on the Day of Atonement. The priests, one time a year, with blood, went in for themselves and then went in for the people. Well, Jesus didn't have to take blood in for himself because he had no sin, but he had to take blood into the holy place for us to be redeemed. That's what a priest does. It takes blood to God that is acceptable to God. And the only blood acceptable to God was the blood of his son. And that's the work of a priest. Hebrews 5. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, being perfected in heaven as the complete redeemer of his people, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obeyed him, obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 5, let's see, we were back here, right here. Look at, look at verse 6. Hebrews 5, 6. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now notice where we are and look at verse 10. He repeats himself just four verses later. And sandwiched in between it is what the Lord Jesus Christ did to be a perfect high priest. But he was a perfect high priest when he ascended into heaven after being made perfect, and he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Because God, with his right hand, hath made him a prince and a savior for to give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Jesus was not priest before his resurrection. Let's get this. This is uh, Hebrews 6. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. So our hope is inside the veil, the veil that keeps all unholy objects out of the presence of God, whither the forerunner is for us entered. Whither? Where is whither? Inside the veil. Who is the forerunner? Jesus, because he went in there first. And he's entered. And why did he enter? For us. Do you read slow enough to pick up? Don't read your Bibles too fast. Whither? You should ask, what does it mean? The forerunner. Who? Why? For us. Did he? Yes, he entered. Even Jesus. Made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we just jump one more chapter and we get one more of those occurrences of calling Jesus a priest after the order of Melchizedek. No other book in the New Testament ever calls Jesus priest. Not once, not any book. It's all in Hebrews. So I'm in Hebrews because right now I'm dealing with his priesthood. Jesus was not priest before his resurrection. Hebrews 9, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Jesus' own blood, he entered. Entered. Inside the veil, he entered. How many times did he have to go in? Every year, like the Jews? No. He entered in once into the holy place, the real holy place, as Hebrews 9 describes, not one made on earth, but one in heaven, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Amen. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? In Revelation chapter 5, a passage which Jerry loves. And Jerry loves the fact that John was weeping because there was no one found in heaven, in earth, or under the earth that could approach to Almighty God's presence and take the book of the everlasting covenant out of his hands and rip the seals off it. It was sealed up. 
Only one being could do it, and it was the man Christ Jesus, who through the eternal spirit came up into heaven as of a lamb slain. And he was able to take the book of the covenant out of the hand of him that sat there, and they sang new songs. Because you couldn't sing about salvation until that event. We'll, we'll get to that verse before I... See, it's going to be the second service. I just want you to rejoice in Jesus, your priest, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. And that should, that should move our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. Of course, this was written to Hebrews, and the dead works were Old Testament law works. Jesus was not priest before resurrection. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, that is on earth, that is in Moses' tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, or Solomon's temple, the Holy of Holies, or Zerubbabel's temple, the Holy of Holies, but into heaven itself. Look at it, so plain. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, that's what priests do. They appear in the presence of God for men. And this one has no infirmities of his own. He has no sins of his own. But he had a human nature, and he lived 33 and a half years in, in this world, so he was tempted in all points like as we are, so he is the perfect priest. He had parents that irritated him. But he obeyed them. Right. You say, did they really irritate? Of course they did. They were sinners. Even when he was dealing with the doctors of the law, they accused him of wrongdoing. And they didn't understand. And he said, don't you understand that I have a very different calling than nailing two-by-fours together? Dad, I must be about my Father in Heaven's business. Right. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now those are all from Hebrews. The only book in the Bible that says Jesus was a priest by the word, the use of the word. So then that brings us to these verses that I've given you before, but I never want you to forget this. I want you to appreciate the priesthood of Jesus Christ. I want you to appreciate Psalm 110, verse 4. You didn't grow up in religions needing priests, except a handful of you. You grew up in religions without priests. You don't appreciate a priest. But if you read the Old Testament, you're going to encounter priests over and over and over again, and Jesus is our priest. He went into the presence of God for us. You do not have to be afraid of going through that veil. That's why it says in Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, with boldness we can go through that veil in the presence of God. Because Jesus has already opened that way for us by a new and living way. For if, when we were enemies, legal enemies, practical enemies, whatever you want to look at it, but legal enemies for sure, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Now just stop right there. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. The price was paid. Our sins were paid for. But they haven't been presented in heaven yet. There isn't an intercessor there yet. So it says, and Paul wrote this, and I have taught you this over many years, much more. I am surprised that people are able to read Romans 5 and all they can get out of it is that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because they just end up with a dead Savior. That's verse 8. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God with the death of his Son. That's as far as Romans 5, 8 goes. Romans 5, 10 goes further. Much more. I didn't, make, I didn't write those words. 
Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. Much more being reconciled since the legal sacrifice has been made, we shall be saved by his life because he is in heaven presenting his work to the Father as far as we're able to understand it. You know it was completed in some senses at the cross when he died and it was completed when he rose from the dead because if he didn't rise from the dead, then our sins were too much for him. We know all that from the Bible, but the Bible wants us to know this. We shall be saved by his life, his perpetual life of a priest making intercession for us with his shed blood. And he is there right now. And when it comes to die, you get a chariot ride to God's right hand and the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and your priest is there appealing to his shed blood in the book of life called the book of life of the lamb slain. We shall be saved by his life. Romans 8, 34, three chapters later, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Stop. That's as far as Romans 5, 8 goes. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. The apostle by inspiration said, there is something better. Yea, rather. That is risen again. Isn't that what we're talking about? His resurrection, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. How much of the Bible was not written by Jews, not written about Jews, or not written to Jews? Let's just go ahead and round it off. None of it. They would all understand these verses about intercession. And I want you to appreciate them, even though you never had a priest interceding for you. But you have one now. Yea, rather. Those are Paul's words. I tremble. I want to emphasize his words because they are God's words. And I don't care about anyone that misunderstands or maliciously wants to deny the work of Jesus Christ in heaven. Much more. Really? Much more? Yea, rather? I believe them, and I've taught them to you. Hebrews 7. And they, Old Testament priests, truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. They just kept dying. So they had so many priests in the Old Testament, but there's one of those inspired disjunctives. But this man, because he continueth ever, he lives forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. There'll be no one replacing him. Wherefore, because of that, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? He is able to save you to the uttermost because of his life, not because of his death seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. Do you believe? Can I get you to believe some more? You say, is that right? 
1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. It's my job to increase your faith so that you can look forward to the day of death as a chariot ride into the presence of God because there's a priest there who lives forever and he's able to save you to the uttermost. Amen. Jesus was not priest before his resurrection. Revelation 5, John wept. No one was found to open the book of the everlasting covenant. But it says, and they sung a new song. What happened? Jesus arrived in heaven after his ascension. Resurrection, ascension, coronation, exaltation, glorification, and inheritance. You say, Pastor, do you like those six words? More than I can tell you. I wish I could tell you. I'm trying to tell you. They sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book, open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Here we are today. And hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That is what the multitude in heaven, those that were already there, the spirits of just men made perfect, said at his coronation and glorification. But notice it's a new song. That wasn't sung until Jesus got there in a glorified, slain body. Please stand with me.